Good morning. Will you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you are and all that you have provided through Jesus Christ. Thank you for his presence, especially when we feel downcast, when we feel all alone. You are right there with us because of what Jesus did in his suffering and death. Lord, thank you for the promise to raise us to new life, to make all things new. Keep our hearts focused on the good news of your gospel and sharing it with the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are continuing our Romans series, as uh, Allison mentioned earlier. So I invite you to get out your Bibles, if you have them with you, or your Bible app on your phone, if you brought that along. Uh, you can follow along as we start, uh, continue looking at Romans, looking at chapter 11. So I invite you to turn there. Paul is singing a sorrowful song about his people, fellow Israelites who have not believed in Christ. They haven't understood or accepted what God has been doing in the Messiah, Jesus. And that's no surprise. God's people have always seesawed back and forth in faith. You know what, it was, what it's like you know, when you're a kid and you're on a seesaw. Sometimes you're up and flying real high, and then you know, if you keep your feet, if you don't have your feet down enough, you, know, you come crashing down real hard. And it's back and forth the whole time. Does that sound like anybody you know? <laughs> if we're honest, that really describes all of us. We're flying high and on top of things, following Jesus, and then bam, we hit the ground hard. Everything falls apart. We stumble and doubt and make a mess of things. That's really the story of humanity. God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, and they grumbled in the wilderness. He gave them the covenant and the law, and they made a golden calf. He led them to the promised land, and they were afraid to go in. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He gave them a land of their own, and the king that they asked for, and their leaders led them astray to worship other gods. They neglected the poor and the needy. They went into exile. But God heard their cries and brought them back home. But the cycle didn't stop. They kept seesawing all the way to, up to Paul's day. And we're doing the same thing today. Take a look at the two verses right before chapter 11. Paul here is quoting Isaiah where God says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. 
Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. God holds out his hands to you and me. He holds out his hands to the rebellious Jewish people. Paul goes on to give himself as an example. He says, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. He had all the credentials. He was zealous for the traditions of his ancestors. His Jewish name, of course, was Saul. He did everything that he could to stop followers of Jesus. He had them arrested. He had them put in prison. He had them tortured and even killed. Saul didn't know it, but he had it all wrong. He was fighting for the wrong team. But God had a new plan for his life. Christ turned him from persecutor to proclaimer. He went from killing Christians to raising up Christians. Paul traveled all over the Roman Empire, bringing news of the kingdom of God. Everywhere he went, he started churches. He wrote them letters, like this one, to encourage and challenge them. They still encourage and challenge us today, nearly 2,000 years later. If Jesus could turn Saul around, he can certainly change the lives of other people, Jews and Gentiles. So Paul continues his letter by saying, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. God has a purpose a plan, and a promise for them and for us, even when we can't seem to see it. Paul illustrates that by telling a little of the story of prophet, the prophet Elijah. I encourage you to turn over to 1 Kings 19. If you've got your Bibles with you, you've got to go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and then you get to 1st Kings. Elijah had just triumphed over the prophets of Baal. They'd had this huge contest up on Baal's home turf, Mount Carmel, where they had all these worship services and sacrifices to Baal. And... Elijah challenged the, the, uh, the prophets of Baal to each of them build a, an altar to their God. Put wood on it and a sacrifice, uh, but don't set any fire to it. And they would each pray, and whoever's God answered with fire was the true God. Well, the prophets of Baal built their altar, put their wooden sacrifice on there, and then they prayed, and they danced, and they cut themselves trying to get Baal's attention, and nothing happened. Elijah even taunted them, saying, oh, try a little louder. Uh, You know, maybe he's just asleep. (laughs) Nothing happened all day long. And then Elijah built his altar, put the wood on it, put the sacrifice on top. And then he said, I need some water. Bring some water up from the valley. Bring it all the way up here. Pour it all over 
the sacrifice, so much that it'll even fill the trench that I dug around the, uh, around the outer edge. And then he prayed, God, show them who you are. And God poured down fire from heaven that consumed the, the wood, the sacrifice, the stones of the altar and licked up all the water in the trench. Elijah had the prophets of Baal put to the sword. It was this triumphant moment for the God of Israel over the pagan gods. But when Queen Jezebel heard about it, she said, Elijah, I'm going to do the same thing to you. And Elijah turned tail and ran. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He went into the wilderness and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. But God provided food and water for him. He traveled 40 days to Mount Sinai, the place where God had met with Moses and gave him the law. And the Lord said to Elijah, What are you doing here, Elijah? And this is what Paul picks up in verse 10. He says, Elijah responded, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, but the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So God sent a great wind and an earthquake and a fire past Elijah as he hid in a cave. There were these huge displays of God's power. But God was not in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. And then came a sound of sheer silence. And Elijah covered his face and went out of the cave and waited. Sometimes God speaks to us in a deafening silence. He waits until we are truly ready to listen. And God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And so God, yeah, yeah. so... I'm the only one left. Do you ever feel like you're the only one left? You're the only one willing to stand up to the bully at school or work? You're the only one in your family who goes to church? You're the only one in your group of friends who hasn't done the stuff everyone else has or claims to have done? You feel like everyone around you has compromised their principles and left the straight and narrow path. You're trudging on alone. Sometimes doing the right thing, living the Christian life, can feel lonely. But how did God respond to Elijah? He said, go back the way you came. I've got a few things, a couple last things for you to do before you hang it up. But by the way, in verse 18 he says, there are still 7,000 people in Israel who haven't bowed to Baal. 
you're not as alone as you think. God always has a faithful remnant of people. When you get discouraged about what's doing right, look around. You are not alone. Paul continues in Romans, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. God chooses the remnant by sheer unearned love, not by works. We don't somehow impress God with our good behavior and get on his nice list rather than his naughty list. Grace is a gift, something we cannot earn. God has chosen you. You're not here by accident today. God wants you to hear about his great love for you. And he wants you to respond to it. In Christ, God has flung open the door to Gentiles, non-Jews like you and me, so that we can become children of the promise, part of God's own people. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says that most of their hearts were hardened like Pharaoh's. Sometimes Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and sometimes God hardened it, in order that God's saving power might be shown in all its glory. God has this incredible way of using people's resistance to further his own purposes. In Verses 9 and 10, Paul quotes Psalm 69. May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Jesus is a stumbling block for some people. He is the stone the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone. I invite you to flip over to John 11, the gospel that we heard today. This is right after Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And the religious leaders were so angry about it that they plotted to kill Jesus and Lazarus too. In, verses 47, in, in verse 47, it says this, the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come, away, come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Caiaphas spoke more truth than he realized. John goes on to say he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the whole nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. 
Jesus came to save not only Israel, but everyone who trusts in him. In John 10, just before this, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Back in Romans 11, Paul says, Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? God has taken the unbelief of the Jewish people and used it to bring into Jesus' flock people of every nation and language and culture. He's used their rebellion for his own purposes. If most Jews had accepted Jesus, the, the message might have stayed right there in Jerusalem. But instead, Christians were persecuted and scattered all around the world. Wherever they went, they told people about Jesus, even Gentiles. And the church grew. In verses 13 and 14, which we'll hear next week, Paul says, I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Paul wanted to make his own people jealous when they saw God's goodness flowing to other races and cultures. Who knows? They might even wake up and believe in Christ themselves. Sometimes you may feel like you're all alone, but you are part of a remnant called to shine the light of Christ into the darkness. A few years ago, Bonnie Raitt had a song that said, let's give them something to talk about, a little mystery to figure out. Let's give them something to talk about. How about love? May you show the love of Christ in such a compelling way that people not only talk about it, but are drawn into it, to experience it themselves and to share it with others until the whole world knows and follows Christ. Amen.